Hi, my name's Olivia, and I'm on a mission to break the silence of domestic violence and sexual assault. This production is brought to you by Bolton Refuge House, which is headquartered in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Bolton Refuge House creates a safe space through programs and services for all persons impacted by domestic violence, intimate partner violence, and sexual assault, and advocates for social change. Today on Silence No More, we are going to be discussing a program that was implemented to help victims of crime. Now, an interesting fact about this program, which is called Victim Witness, is that in the year of 1980, Wisconsin was the very first state to create a Crime Victims Bill of Rights. The state of Wisconsin believed that crime victims should be treated with fairness, dignity, and respect for their privacy. So the state of Wisconsin implemented Victim Witness to do just that. I wanted to learn more about Victim Witness and the services that they provide, so I contacted Jessica Bryan. She is the Victim Witness Coordinator and Supervisor within the District Attorney's Office in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Before we talk to Jessica, I'd like to take this moment to tell you all that today's podcast is sponsored by Ali Rudd Financial Services located in Mondovi, Wisconsin. If you live in Wisconsin and are in need of financial services, I strongly encourage you to give Allie Rudd Financial Services a call. Her number is 1-800-398-1971. When I first sat down to talk to Jessica, one of my very first questions was, what is Victim Witness? I really was not too informative about what Victim Witness is and their services, so I wanted to find out from Jessica. Victim Witness is a program that serves victims and witnesses of crime. Under the Wisconsin State Statute 950, victims have certain rights, and it's the role of Victim Witness Services to make sure that victims' rights and witnesses' rights are being met. Some of these rights include the right to confer with a prosecutor, and so it would be victim witnesses' role to make sure that that meeting between the victim and prosecutor is set up. They also have a right to be notified of all court hearings um, and in a timely manner as well. And so a lot of times this is done by mailing out a letter Um, email, phone call to the victim witness, letting them know when the court date is. We also walk them through the process. The criminal justice system can be a very long process. On average, our cases probably take a year to get through. And so victims have a right to a speedy disposition, and a year may not seem speedy to them, but actually in the criminal justice system, it is. Um, Also, some other rights that they have is restitution for anything that's been damaged or they lost due to the crime, so financial recovery. Um, Recovered property in a timely manner, you know, maybe it's been kept for evidence, maybe the defendant has it, to help with that, to get that back. Um, They have a right to make a victim impact statement in court, and this can be done either in writing or in person at the time of sentencing. And so those are just some of the rights that victims' witnesses have, and it's our job as victim witness service providers to make sure that these rights are being met. I was glad that Jessica mentioned that victims have rights too. A lot of times when someone is being accused of the crime, we 
we're fully aware that they have rights. We know that that person is innocent until proven guilty. But I've never really thought about the victim's side and their rights. So, so if victims have rights, which I'm glad that they do, and I'm sure you do too, but I was really curious and interested on how do these victims find out that they do have rights and what their rights are. Victims find out about victim witness in two ways. Mostly it is from law enforcement. When law enforcement is out um, on scene, whether they're going to make an arrest or not, they have a form that they give to all victims. Our phone number, contact information, address is all on there. They let the victim know that if there was an arrest made that day, that evening, most likely someone from the crisis response program, which is through Victim Witness, will call them the next day, connect with them, and then Victim Witness will also follow up. So usually it's always a referral from law enforcement. Um, victim Witness gets um, starts a case once that case is referred up to the DA's office. So once law enforcement has sent a referral up to the DA's office, that's when Victim Witness gets involved. Before that, if law enforcement needs anything from Victim Witness, that's when they reach out to our crisis response program and they provide on-scene services. I asked Jessica if she would explain crisis response and their role in services that they provide to victims. Crisis Response is a volunteer-ran program. We have two paid staff that organize our volunteers, train them, but 24 hours a day for any type of crime. It could be a property crime, it could be domestic violence, any type of crime. If law enforcement needs assistance on scene from Crisis Response, they call us and either one or two volunteers will go out if it's during the day, um, paid staff will go out. So an example, um, let's say unfortunately you have a homicide and you know you the law enforcement has all kinds of family members there, they're stressed, they're crying, they don't know what to do. They would call crisis response, they would arrive on scene, and then they would provide any support, resources, any information that the family needs to know um, about as far as the criminal process, um, anything that they may be needing to deal with. Usually in homicide cases, crisis response knows that they also reach out to victim witness because a lot of times we need more than just um, volunteers on scene. So then um, victim witness would also go out on scene and provide any support or resources that the family needs at that time. The majority of it is just making sure that victims' rights are being met. And we can do that by notifying them of court hearings. We can attend court with them. If they choose not to attend court, we can go into court, be a presence for them, and then give them a call after court and let them know what happened. Um, we also are the link between the prosecutor and the victim. Prosecutors can't talk to every victim. There's too many victims, and so that's where we come in play when we feel that really the victim needs to talk to the prosecutor or they really want to talk to the prosecutor, we help arrange that. Um, we also help with having them fill out crime victim comp applications for financial assistance, requesting and um, restitution on their behalf, collecting any documents that they may need to request restitution. And then a lot of times we're a referral resource. You know, we refer them to different resources that we feel they may need. Maybe it is going to Bolton. Maybe it's a referral for restraining order, the healing place. So a lot of times we are more referring them out um, to local services. 
One of the services that Victim Witness does do, and I was aware of, was restitution and restitution of medical bills. So I asked Jessica if she could explain that for us a little more in depth from what I knew, um, and so we can learn from her. Restitution is the financial piece of the criminal justice system. So if a victim maybe went to the hospital, didn't have insurance, and now has medical bills, um, maybe they had to pick up a prescription, or maybe, you know, we've had it where people have gotten teeth knocked out and they need special food, anything like that, any kind of financial need that the victim had, we will request in restitution for them. So what we do is we draft a worksheet and we make sure the prosecutor has it and then the prosecutor works on getting that ordered through the judge that the defendant has to pay restitution. Um, just because court orders restitution it does not mean it always gets paid and that's the sad part of it is there's a lot of restitution that's ordered out there to victims that defendants don't pay. Um, one they may just not have the financial means to pay it they don't want to pay it and there's really not anything out there right now that makes them pay it, um, where before sometimes they'd get revoked from probation or things like that when they didn't pay their restitution. Um, the system's kind of going away from that. So a lot of times restitution will end up being a civil judgment against the defendant. And so what we do is if there's medical bills or anything that we feel crime victim comp can help with, we will have them fill out a crime victim comp application, submit it for them on their behalf, and try to have crime victim comp help them out with their medical bills first. And then what we do is we turn around and request restitution for crime victim comp. And so then that the victim's bills are being paid on a time, in a timely manner. I asked Jessica if she would give an example of a case that she worked on where the victim came to her and they, the victim needed services from victim witness and how that all played out. So to give an example of a case that I worked on um, would be a stalking case. We do tend to see stalking cases and honestly it is kind of, some of these cases are kind of like what you see on TV and on the movies. You can't believe that some of the things that people do and that the fear that these victims have to live in. I had a case where a professional um, she had her master's degree, very well known in the community, a very nice person. She had been married to her husband many years. They had children together, um, high school age, and they were going through a separation and a divorce. And when that started to happen, things really started to decline for her um, future ex-husband. Um, what she did is she came into my office one day and she had three binders with her and I would say they were like three inch binders full of everything that he had done to her up to that point. He even sent her like a little card, it was a little pink envelope, then there was a picture of the family in it and it had her face burnt out on it. And it was postmarked from Minnesota. So I mean it was really stuff like that that he would do. Um, he would leave flowers in the garage 
um, leave groceries at the mailbox for her. One time she went to answer her door and it was Pizza Hut delivering a pizza for her and the kids. And they were able to track all this back to her um, ex-husband. He kidnapped the dog one time and told the children that he got rid of the dog. And then three days later brought the dog back and the kids came home from school and here the dog was back out in the kennel. Um, so the things that he did besides just constantly texting and messaging her were so fearful. I, at that time, I couldn't imagine being her. She ended up getting a security system. We did end up getting that um, ordered as restitution, so she did get reimbursed for that just to keep her and the kids safe. Um, and the thing is, truly, all she wanted out of this was to be left alone and for him to get whatever help that he needed. She wasn't out to send him to prison or put him in jail for a long time, but it did get to a point where the only time she felt safe was when she knew he was in custody. Um, he was put on probation, would violate probation by trying to contact her, and he did finally leave the area, was put on probation, and things finally started settling down. But this was like a two-year process and the documentation that we had um, you would think that that was a prison case but he did not go to prison um, he did get some jail time but really it was it was probation and just the fear that she had to live in and so really for her it was just being that sounding board when she was scared she'd call us up there was so many times she needed to report things so she knew if she showed up at victim witness, we would just have an officer come up here and meet with her so she didn't have to go through the process of, you know, calling the dispatch center, having them come to her house. And it literally was just constantly, constantly documenting everything, um, reporting everything. And then these binders, I mean, she really did all the work for law enforcement. She had put everything in there printed off all the text messages, everything. So she actually, as a victim, did all the work for law enforcement by handing us these binders. Um, she's doing good now. She's still in her professional career. Um, her kids are doing good, but it was just so exhausting. I was curious to know what Jessica did as her role as victim witness coordinator and supervisor. What did victim witness do to help this individual through this process and what services were involved? She did. Um, we did help her by getting a restraining order. Um, she usually would not attend court because we knew that every time she would attend court, that was just feeding into him because he then could see her. So sometimes she would come here and she would just sit in our victim witness room and then as soon as court was over, I would just come back and report to her. Or it got to the point where she was missing a lot of work, so I would just call her as soon as court was over and let her know. Um, he did, I should say, he also showed up at her work one day and left a coffee out on her windowsill as she was working. Um, so really it was just providing that support for her, keeping her in constant communication with law enforcement, keeping her in constant communication with the prosecutor. And then when the case was closed, we still kept working with her because then we had those violations while he was on probation. And so keeping her connected with the probation agent and all, almost like us keeping tabs on him for her just so she knew you know, where he was, um, things like that. So yes, for her, it was restitution, restraining order, going through the court process, working with probation afterwards, and then just being a support person for her. Learning about this individual's case, I kind of became aware that I was a little naive about the court system if you are a victim of a crime. 
I just assumed that if you were a victim of a crime, you have to go to court. And that is not the case. But I did ask Jessica, is there ever situations that the victim does have to go to court? The only, if you were a victim, the only time that you are ever required to court, go to court is if we go to jury trial and we have to subpoena you. Um, other than that, if you never want to set foot in the courtroom, you don't have to. Now, I did want Jessica to explain to our listeners what subpoena is for those listeners who are not quite familiar with the judicial system so they can have a better understanding of what that is. What a subpoena is, is when we have a jury trial, we need to subpoena our witnesses, meaning it's a court order telling them they have to appear in court. And so we do a lot of times have to subpoena our victim to testify in court. What we do is we will do what we call jury prep with that victim. And so usually about a week before jury trial, that's when we'll start working with our victim. And a lot of times they'll get their subpoena maybe a month or two before they have to be in court and we'll get those phone calls of victims panicking. Hey, you know, I got the subpoena. What, what do I have to do? What kind of questions do I have to answer? And we just reassure them that, yes, you got your subpoena, but we are not going to contact you till about a week before because so many times jury trials are scheduled and then they're taken off the calendar or they take a plea. And we don't want to burden the victim with them having to come in, do jury prep, go through that, and then end up not even going to jury trial. So that's why we wait till about a week before. Um, we bring them in, we take them into the courtroom, we let them sit where they're going to be sitting, we explain the whole courtroom to them, who's who in the courtroom, and then we do go over questions that we are going to be asking of them, and then just, you know, making sure you speak clearly. You take a deep breath before you answer the question in case each side needs to object. We just really go over the rules of the courtroom and um, give them an idea of what we're going to be asking. I asked Jessica if she would be willing to give us an example of someone who would have to be subpoenaed. Um, so in this situation with the one that I was just talking about for a stalking case, let's say that went to a jury trial. We would need the victim subpoenaed to come to court to explain to the jurors everything that happened. So we would literally, the prosecution would let her tell her story through the questions that the prosecutor was going to be asking her. And it would be very important that the jury saw her, sees that she's a real person, see how fearful she is. The jurors need to see that in order to come back with conviction. And so that's why it would be so important for her to be there. Um, with children and victims uh, when they come in, we have them do what we call a CAC interview, which is a child forensic interview. I think there's a lot of misconception about those um, interviews because we will have them interviewed. And yes, that is so they don't have to retell their story. But even though we play that interview in court at jury, we still have to provide that child to testify so the defense can ask them questions. And a lot of times parents will be like, you have my child's testimony on tape. They don't need to come to court. Well, yes, they do, because we legally have to provide them for the defense attorney. And so a lot of times again, we'll do the same thing with kids. We'll prep with them. We'll let them go into courtroom. We'll let them play around. They'll play with the microphone, you know, get used to being up in the chair. And then the prosecutor when they take the stand we'll just start asking them easy questions like what do you like to do in the summer where do you go to school you know just little questions just to get them comfortable and then the defense will take over and ask them some questions and usually defense attorneys are pretty good with the kids but sometimes you know they ask hard questions to the 
kids too, but there are times where we need to subpoena young children to come to court. To wrap up my conversation with Jessica, I asked her what advice or encouragement or anything like that does she have for victims experiencing intimate partner violence or sexual assault? Advice that I would give to victims, whether it's intimate partner, any any type of crime, is I will always be honest with them that the criminal justice system is not an easy process to go through. It's long. It's tedious. Um, a lot of times the criminal justice system can seem like it's catered towards the defendant and not the victims. But there are people in the victim's corner. The prosecutors are always there supporting and advocating for the victims. Um, victim witnesses there to make the process as easy as possible. And then, like I said, we do do referrals out to other agencies, advocates. And so any kind of support that they want to bring with them, we, we welcome that. So it is a hard process, um, long process, but reporting these crimes is the right thing to do. Um, you know, it shows that there is some justice out there and if victims aren't reporting these crimes you know it's just it's just going to continue and it's just going to continue that pattern where if we can hold some of these people accountable you know maybe it'll make a difference I would like to thank Jessica for giving us her time and information on victim witness today I also want you to know, at Bolton Refuge House, we have legal advocates who are available to provide victims with the rights and remedies of family, civil, and criminal court processes. If you or someone you know is affected by intimate partner domestic violence or sexual assault, I want to strongly encourage you to call our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week confidential hotline. We have trained advocates ready to help you. That number is 715-834-9578. If you are looking for ways that you could help Bolton Refuge House, you can contact our director. Her email is director at boltonrefuge.org.